Happy Friday, everybody. This is Shane. I am all by myself today uh, for episode number 20 of the Cameron Lazies. No Ariana, no Aaron, no anchors. Just me running wild. It's going to be great. Um, just kidding about that. I don't think of Ariana as an anchor. Okay, well, actually, it's not just me. I am going to be speaking in just a few seconds with Mike Rutherford. Uh, he is the founder of CardChronicle.com. He is the editor of the entire college basketball section at SB Nation. He is born and raised in Louisville, as you'll find out. Um, and he was a great guest. So we spoke for about a half hour uh, about the game this weekend, Duke taking on Louisville Saturday at 6 p.m. So I am going to roll this beautiful interview and hope you all enjoy it and go Duke. All right, great. I am here with Mike Rutherford. Mike, as I said before, founder of CardChronicle.com. He is the college basketball editor at SP Nation. Quite a big get for a new podcast like the Cameron Lazies. Mike, thank you so much for joining us today. Absolutely, Shane. I think I appreciate you, uh, you having me on. Well, so you are uh, obviously a huge Louisville guy, um, and basically I want to do the show and just sort of figure out what Duke fans should be looking at Saturday. Obviously, Louisville is a really good team this year, um, year two of the Chris Mack era, and I thought maybe we would start there. Uh, what is the general sense uh, about Chris Mack so far? I think it's still like way more positive than negative. There is a little bit of, like, when Louisville lost the game to to Florida State uh, after losing to Kentucky there was a whole lot of the honeymoon's over talk and it wasn't like the honeymoon's over we want this guy fired we're gonna ride him out of town it was he's going to be picked apart the same way that every Louisville coach is like I, I don't want to say he got a free pass for last year but that team overachieved nope nobody really thought they were going to go to the NCAA tournament in year one they had been right on the outside looking in on selection Sunday the year before when David Padgett was the head coach and it seemed like they had less talent in Chris Mack's first year. So for them to, you know, win 11 games in the ACC, get a seven seed in the NCAA tournament, that was enough to appease a lot of people. And then he signed a really good recruiting class too. So he was definitely like the king of Louisville for that period. And then this team, preseason top five, they get as high as number one in the country for a couple of weeks, look really bad in a loss to Texas Tech in New York, um, lose to Kentucky again in a game that if they just make a few free throws, they win. And then they lose to Florida State handily on their home floor. After that, there were a lot of people who were, you know, kind of bemoaning the pack line defense, you know, questioning if this is the right guy. I, I still think that most Louisville fans are firmly in his corner, but there's definitely been a, more than I would say I expected people who are kind of doing the whole well, Rick Patino would have done this or Rick Patino would have <laughs> done that or even Denny Crum would have done this or, or done that. So I think that a lot of people are just kind of waiting to see two months go. That's interesting. What is the, this is a question I don't know. What is the psychology of the Louisville fan base? Like if there's a stereotype, I would say Duke has a somewhat reactive fan base, but we also are, a, as you know, a complete cult of worship for Coach K. So the dynamic you're talking about, there wouldn't be second guessing in that way. And he's built up a level of trust over the last X number of years. But our Louisville, is it, is it kind of a neurotic fan base to some degree? Or uh, I know, I know having Kentucky right there must play some part in that dynamic too. It's not – I don't think it's quite as bad as Kentucky. It's definitely changed in recent years. I think, I think everything that's happened over the last five years has really changed this fan base, and, and how could it not? I mean it's been yeah, one yeah. crazy story after another crazy story, and I think that that's changed a lot of things. I, I think with this team in particular, and I laid this out a couple of weeks ago, I think there are two things going on because it does feel – to someone who's covered this team you know, for the last, I guess, 12 years and who has you know, followed it religiously my entire life – 
it does feel like this team and this season has been more scrutinized than any other I can remember. And I think there are two reasons why. One, with Rick Pitino, you know, you had some bad January losses. You had some stretches of play where the team just didn't look the way it was supposed to. But you always knew in the back of your mind he was going to get things right because you'd seen him do it before. Like you, you yeah, had tangible yeah. evidence that this guy was going to win in March because that's what he did. With Chris Mack, you just don't know. Like Maybe he could wind up becoming the best NCAA tournament coach ever here, but the only thing we have to go off of is last year's game uh, where the team just didn't show up and we lost to Minnesota. I think the other thing is Louisville fans are very aware that there's more NCAA stuff coming. I mean, we, Louisville has not even received a notice of allegations for the whole Brian Bowen Adidas stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, you don't know if you're going to be banned from the NCAA tournament in 2021, maybe 2022. The recruiting, um, they, they swung and missed on a bunch of their highest profile targets in this 2020 class, including uh, Jamin Brakefield, who's going to go to Duke. So I think that there's a, a, a large sense amongst the Louisville fan base that this is kind of your one shot to do something special for maybe the next couple of years. Uh, you know, this is a uh, a chance to go to Atlanta to win a national title to you know not forget about what's going to happen maybe the next two three years. What's going to happen with the NCA? And I think Louisville fans are kind of more on edge than they would be ordinarily just because of that. Yeah, that's really interesting. And it, and it is the kind of year where it does seem like for a lot of teams, we're going to feel like anything is possible. I know Duke fans feel that way. Uh, we feel like we have a team that. It certainly didn't feel this way at the start of the year, but now it's like, oh yeah, we could definitely win a title this year, and it would at this point be kind of disappointing not to get to the Final Four because of just of how wide open uh, the year seems. Um, yeah, one thing, I mean, the NCAA, hopefully for your sake and just for the sake of any other team going through this nonsense, they get neutered publicly uh, to the extent that they feel hesitant to kind of attack any big-name program. I what do you think? I mean, what does it look like there? It's I know it's really early to tell, and like you said, you don't even have formal allegations yet. But is it is it feeling pretty pessimistic uh, after this year? I think so. I, I think just because Louisville fans have gotten the runaround now since since basically 2015, mm-hmm. where you know we had all these people telling us that it wasn't going to be that bad for this reason or that reason, and it turned out that none of that stuff mattered. Like the the NCAA hammered Louisville for the Katina Powell stuff. Um, even though there was really no precedent to do so, and, and we don't have to get into the the ugly, gross, disgusting details of all that stuff. But yeah, yeah. Like, if you actually look at it, like I mean, there's nothing in the NCA bylaws about anything that went down. So Louisville tried to use that as its argument, and the NCA was basically like, "We're just going to create a punishment here because we're going to regulate morality," which was kind of a surprise to to everybody around here that it was that severe. And then when Louisville appealed and said. Look, we we worked with you every step of the way. We self-imposed a, a postseason ban with a team that was really good. It wasn't like Syracuse did a couple of years before that. That Damian Lee, Trey Lewis team had just beaten North Carolina when they were the number one team in the country yeah, and yeah. looked like they were going to be a top four seed. So I, I think that that was supposed to be a mitigating factor. And the NCAA responded to Louisville's appeal by saying, you're right, by our own bylaws, we're supposed to take stuff like that into consideration. And we didn't. That's a great argument we're changing nothing about our punishment. Like, like they, they, they legit were like, yeah, great call. We're not changing a damn thing. And uh, so, so all those punishments stayed. So I think Louisville fans, understandably, are kind of like, we're expecting the worst. Um, it, it is a little bit interesting that all these schools across the country are now coming out and saying they've got their notice of allegations, and Louisville has not been one of them. Yeah, uh, yeah. We know that the NCAA was in town. I think that was reported six, seven months ago by Rick Bozich and Eric Crawford of W. DRB here locally, but 
no word. Um, and according to the people within the athletic program, like they have no idea when they're going to get an NOA. They knew they weren't going to be in that first wave, but they're not exactly sure when it's going to fall. So I don't think Louisville fans know what to expect, but I think they're just kind of defaulting to expecting the worst. Yeah, I think the legislation of morality is really interesting. And I, I have this theory that, well, this part is not a theory, but the NCAA's power, I think the foundation of it, like the actual why are these people, why do they have so much power, is so tenuous and so flimsy that I think um, when they come across something, uh, and Penn State football is another example, when they come across ah. something that is so clearly morally, like, not indefensible, but not the kind of thing anybody would want to really fight uh, just from a PR perspective. I feel like they go all in because they feel like this is a chance to cement their power in a way that like nobody is going to fight back on um, just because of how it looks almost. And it gives them a chance to say, oh, look, we still can enforce things. Uh, we still are powerful. And I think probably Louisville was like unlucky in that sense that they happen to fall on this morality like spectrum there. Oh, for sure. And I think it's also and this is kind of getting in the weeds here, but it's a lot easier to talk about what went down at Louisville um, when you've got, you know, you've got consenting adults. You're talking about, it's it's gross and it's a, a you know, dingy topic, but it's much easier to talk and make jokes about what happened at Louisville than it is what happened at Baylor or what happened sure, at Michigan sure. State yeah, yeah, or, yeah. or any of that stuff. And I think the NCAA recognized it, and that was an easy win for him. I think that's what it came down to was everybody recognized what happened. Everybody talked about the, you know, the, the crazy grimy details um i mean those women were on good morning america and the view and all those talk shows and all this stuff yeah and the ncaa recognized all the attention it was getting and they knew if we don't hammer louisville for this like it's going to get terrible publicity it's, it's going to be viewed as this awful thing and so this is a a, a no-brainer let's go ahead and, and lay the hammer down and i think louisville was kind of blindsided by that they looked at past precedent and tried to argue based on the dollar value of, of all that went down and, and based on the fact that they didn't actually get any players from all this. All the players went to the NCAA and said that this happened, they were a part of it, were recruits who wound up going to other schools. And the NCAA looked at all the arguments and they were like, yeah, that's cool, uh, but <laughs> this was really gross. And so we're taking your title away. And that was kind of the end of it. So it was a, it was a strange deal to go. But you feel kind of stupid when you're looking at every little detail. You're looking at past cases. You're comparing it to the Syracuse stuff that happened with Fab Mello. You're comparing it with this case and that case. Yeah. And in the end, like none of it really mattered. The NCAA was just like, this is gross. We can't stand for the bad headline. We're taking the title away. Yeah. Uh, screw the NCAA, I guess, is the is the takeaway from there. Pretty much. Uh, to take away pretty much of any story we hear about this. So uh, let's move on from it. Let's talk about this year's Cardinals. Um, again, they're playing Duke on Saturday. Uh, I'm pretty scared of this team. I last year's game was uh, was really interesting. I'm sure it's fresh in your memory, just like it's fresh in mine. It was just a, a story of complete domination until the the floor fell away, basically, and Duke had that huge comeback. But Chris Mack, obviously a good coach. Um, I've seen Louisville play very few times. I think I saw part of the Kentucky game, and I did catch part of the Pitt game as I was slipping back and forth um, with Duke the other night. But So this team, obviously, Jordan Noir is the big guy. Uh, he's averaging 20 points a game. Um, and after that, it seems to be a really balanced attack, Mike. What what sort of uh, should Duke expect from the style uh, of this Louisville team? The style is it's actually a lot different than it was a year ago. Um, last year, they had a grad transfer running the point in Kristen Cunningham, who was really, really good. And they basically ran everything off of a high ball screen. Like he, they, they would start with one of their big men up top. Sometimes it was Jordan Moore who could set up pick and pop situations. But Cunningham made the offense go. This year, because he's had... I think personnel that's, that fits the scheme better, 
Louisville's run a lot more motion stuff, a, a lot more continuity stuff, a, a lot more back screens, constant cutting, and kind of taking the pressure off of the point guard, which is understandable given the fact that point guard has been, the, and it's been talked about a, a billion times at this point, it, it's easily Louisville's weakest position, and they're still trying to figure out some an- answers there. Mm-hmm. So the offensive attack has been totally different. They've been actually a little bit more methodic than they were a year ago. They're not getting out and running quite as much, much to the chagrin of Louisville fans uh, yeah. who have been, I think, accustomed to one style for the last 50 years or so of play. Um, they run that pack line defense. They use long defensive possessions. They play at, I think, like the 302nd slowest pace in the country right now because of that. But they will, if there are transition opportunities, they will get out there and try to run a little bit and get a cheap basket or two. It's more of probing transition than it is all-out attack. We're going to go one-on-three regardless. But it's definitely a different look. I am curious to see exactly what they have in store for Duke because if you remember last year, they came out and they, I mentioned the Kristen Cunningham stuff, they actually ran a totally different offense for that Duke game. They had a really good game plan set up. It looked a little bit more like what we've seen from them this year offensively, and I wonder if they're going to do something similar this year. Uh, I think Chris Mack, I know he wouldn't say this, but because they'd already played Pitt before this year, I think they spent a little bit of extra prep time on Duke um, more so than Pitt leading into that game Tuesday night. Yeah, and and yeah. we'll see if there's a... As a he, he came out with a... Like they ran sets against Kentucky, for instance, um, that they hadn't run the entire year. They ran a little bit of chin continuity action, which was something that we'd never seen in in a year and a half. And maybe that was because of the ten day layoff, or maybe it was because he specifically had that you know stuck in the holster for Kentucky. But I'm curious to see if we see something else like that for this game on Saturday. Yeah, that's interesting. And I want to get into that. I do want to go back real quickly to one thing you said, though, is because I also noticed the pace. And obviously, like a, a Rick Pitino Louisville team is playing really fast and kind of fast and furious style. Uh, and I've thought about that a lot as a Duke fan. Um, we always think about at this point, you know, when is Coach K going to leave? And I felt like, what if Coach K left and we got a Tony Bennett style coach who completely changed what we were doing and we played a really slow down game, the kind that personally I hate to watch. Uh, I don't think I don't think it's good. Uh, and I know it's not that exaggerated at Louisville now, but yeah, can you talk a little bit more about what it's like as a fan base going from, you know, one of the one of the fastest, most aggressive styles of of college basketball that you can ever play to this more methodical kind of thing? Are they? Is it a tough transition for for fans? Man, it's nobody cares when the team's winning. Everybody hates it when they're losing or they're not <laughs> winning by enough. It, it's like anything else, I, yeah. I think. But I mean, if you had. You know, when Louisville beat Michigan 58 to 45, um, and Michigan was a top five team at that point, they hadn't lost, and Louisville was the number one team in the country. Nobody cared about how ugly that game was. Like, yeah, like all yeah, the, yeah. you know, all the reaction was positive. But you go up to Texas Tech and you lose by 13, and then you lose to Kentucky for the billionth year in a row, or whatever it was. <laughs> and every call to uh, to my former radio show, RIP, was uh, you know, we got to get out of the pack. We got let these guys get up and, and run. Like we got thoroughbreds out there. What, what's he doing? Rick Pitino would have won that game by 15 points. Yep. You know yep. everybody hates the style when uh, w- when it's not working. And I I get it. It's an adjustment. I think with the biggest adjustment for Louisville fans is when you get down, especially in the second half, because with Pitino coach teams and even with Crum coach teams way back in the day. If you were down eight with five minutes to play, no problem. Like They're going to get a couple of turnovers. They're going to turn up the pace. They're going to bomb threes. They're right in the game. It felt like it was a one-possession game as long as it was single digits. With the new style, it's not quite the same. And, and granted, they've come back in each of their last two games, but you still feel like you know, you're, you're behind by a solid eight points when you're behind by a solid eight points. 
which is a new feeling to this entire fan base. So I would definitely say there's been some pushback uh, every time a game goes poorly, even if the team does win. I get a billion tweets from people saying we got to get rid of this pack line. But yeah, yeah. He stuck to it. I mean, he's he's gonna he's gonna stick to his guns here. And it's true that it's very successful in college basketball, especially during the regular season. It was a big blow to me when Virginia won a national title because I really loved how they would flame out in the tournament. And I felt like philosophically it validated what I believed, which is that like, yeah, it's great. It's great for regular season, but like it's an aesthetic nightmare. And also it doesn't pay off. And then they won the title. And I'm like, crap, this is just going to spread like a virus now. Uh, so, yeah, so that's that's, I think, pretty interesting. Um, just looking at some of the metrics, I mean, Louisville, they're uh, – uh, slightly better this year on both sides of the ball. I think Ken Palm has them ranked 18th um, with his adjusted efficiency on both offense and defense. So um, thinking about like a, a team like do what we're going to exploit, what we're going to do, it doesn't seem like you can point to any aspect of, of Louisville's game and say, okay, this is a glaring weakness that Duke is definitely going to try to go underneath or we're definitely going to exploit the perimeter or anything like that. I think that if there is a weakness with this Louisville team defensively that, that can be exploited, um, I think you look at the lack of athleticism, which is something that Duke can definitely utilize. Um, Louisville doesn't have a ton. Like, they don't have a catch of Stanley. They don't have. Right, right. Um, they really struggle to keep dribble drive guys in front of them. And I hate that phrase. I can't believe I just used it. I'm so sorry. Um, <laughs> but, but but they really struggle to keep. Well, uh, we'll, we'll edit that out in post. We'll <laughs> yeah, I appreciate it. Uh, they, they struggle to keep opposing ball handlers in front of them. But I think the bigger issue for them all season long has been they overhelp a lot in that pack line, which is something you absolutely cannot do. And they've kind of they've gambled against teams with really good guards like Florida State and Kentucky and said, we're going to crash all in when one of when a guy like Tyrese Maxey for UK or a guy like Trent Forrest gets into the lane and we're gonna give up the outside shot because you all don't shoot it that well from the perimeter. And in both those games, Florida State and Kentucky shot way above their season average, and Louisville got burned. And it's the risk you run when you're giving up maybe better looks uh, to a team that's struggled shooting the ball than they've gotten in the past. Because Florida State had a, w- a lot of open looks. Even Pitt on Tuesday had a lot of open looks. Notre Dame over the weekend had a lot of open looks. And I think the issue is Louisville's defensive players are so used to seeing guys get beat off the bounce that they're instinctively just assuming it's going to happen um, and, yeah, and help right. times when they don't need to. And that's been the biggest adjustment for this team. So I think if you're Duke, especially with a point guard as good as Trey Jones, who can, you know, who is so good at creating for his teams, uh, for his teammates, I should say, I think that's the big advantage. The only concern I would have is if you go back and watch last year's game, Louisville basically didn't guard Trey Jones. They, they left him alone the entire time. I don't think it's going to be quite as pronounced <laughs> this game. But Max definitely going to dare him to beat him from the outside and say, I know we've been burned by this a few times, but if you can do it again, we'll tip our cap and say more power to you. But I think that that's probably going to be the defensive game plan for Louisville. Yeah, and it's interesting because uh, it's a mixed bag with what you get for Duke from the outside. By percentage, we're much, much better than last year. And I still think last year the lack of three-point shooting is what cost us a national title. But uh, this year we're, we have three guys, you know, two or three guys who are shooting above 40%. As a team, it's in the high 30s, so it's good. But we've had some games where it's been abysmal. So I really do, yeah, just for the exact reasons you said, I'm looking at this game and being like, our three-point shooting might define how this goes. Like, we definitely need some guys to hit and... 
um, at least keep Louisville honest so they can't completely just, you know, stay inside and take away Vernon Carey or whatever um, and and sort of leave us just clanking from the outside. Um, I do think it's a, maybe a little bit unfortunate for Louisville that Duke just lost. And I was sort of glad to see that Louisville yeah. pulled it out in pit. You know, and that stuff can be overrated. Like Duke can lose two games in a row. It's not like a given that we're going to come out and play gangbusters or whatever and that we're going to beat Louisville. But um, I do think that uh, plays a small part. You, you've kind of gotten into this already, but if you were if you were Chris Mack, um, knowing what you know about Duke, what do you think the uh, offensive game plan is going to look like? I, I think you have to keep it kind of similar to what it was against Kentucky and Florida State, even though it didn't work all that well. Um, what Duke, What I assume Duke's going to do is exactly the same thing that FSU and UK did. It's isolate Louisville's weakest defender on the court and kind of go at him because – both Florida State and Kentucky did this like baseline runner action to just try and get Ryan McMahon when he was out there on the floor, isolated against Tyrese Maxey, or for uh, for Florida State it was more MJ Walker and Trent Forrest. And then they just did what we kind of talked about a second ago, said, if you guard us man-to-man, we've got bigger players than you do. We're going to take you into the lane, and we're going to make a basically uncontested 10-foot jumper. And if you help out, if you crash out and take away the lane, we're going to take the open look from the outside and both those teams were able to burn Louisville pretty well. Those were the two worst defensive games that Louisville's played the entire season. So I think Louisville's going to give up the outside shot again. Mm-hmm. They're not going to let you know, Vernon Carey kill them inside. They're not going to let Trey Jones kill them around the rim. And I'll tell you exactly what's going to happen. As a jaded Louisville fan, <laughs> I guarantee you, I guarantee you that Matthew Hurt scores at least 20 points in this game. Yeah, I, yeah. I know he only scored two <laughs> against Clemson. I guarantee that that's exactly what happens. And I've got a fun follow-up story to that. Um, I, I, I don't know if I should tell it, but I will. <laughs> At a wedding, I think this was five years ago now. It was the summer of, of 2015. A maybe buzzed Rick Patino, slightly intoxicated, <laughs> maybe a, a, like one or two gin and tonics or vodka tonics, whatever he was drinking, told me that Matthew Hurt was going to be the best white college basketball player since Christian Leitner. Oh, my so that's goodness. A, wow. That's a, a true story. That I think that was when he was a freshman in the state of Minnesota. He was all in on Matthew Hurt. <laughs> so it, it only it only feels right that if Louisville loses on Saturday, it's Matthew Hurt who's doing the, uh, the, the killing. That's really funny. Uh, well, I'll follow that up with a... I, <laughs> I was part of an aborted book project with Christian Leitner, uh, and he, as you probably know, has a really complicated relationship with Rick Pitino. Um, but you remember the um, the commercial they did a couple years ago that was like they were neighbors, and yeah, yeah you know what I'm talking about. They basically yeah. reenacted the the shot, but on a on a garbage can or something, whatever. But uh, I <laughs> I was fascinated to know one of the few interesting things I learned in the course of this uh, short project was that Rick Pitino basically didn't talk to Christian Leitner that whole shoot. <laughs> like like they met up and they. <laughs> did the lines but Christian later tried to make small talk with him Patino was like nope <laughs> like basically put his hand up and just would not talk with him so oh god so that yeah that that is interesting though uh you know Matt Hurt is like god that's really interesting to hear because he is good I don't think we've a hundred percent figured out how to use him quite yet uh, he's an interesting guy because he can finish really, really well underneath with contact, and he's a good post player. Um, certainly not, you know, somebody like on Vernon Carey's level, and a, and a tall athletic defender can bother him. He can also shoot, but I think we're kind of stuck between two worlds. We don't know how to use both of those skills at the same time, and so I don't know. You probably didn't see much of the Clemson game because Louisville was playing at the same time. Um, right. But he was, yeah, he was completely stuck. Like we didn't know he didn't really play in the last ten minutes because. 
there was just no clear way for him to benefit us, and he's still a little bit of a, of a liability on defense. And so, yeah, so that's uh, it's a good endorsement for Rick Pitino. I hope it comes true. Um, so far, it hasn't quite, but he's also shown flashes of brilliance. And I agree with you. The way you're talking about uh, how Mac is going to approach it defensively, it does make you raise your eyebrows and go, oh, man, Hurt could, Hurt could score 20 this game. He definitely could. Yeah. Yeah, and I can see how he wouldn't play against a team like Clemson. That my understanding, like you said, I only saw the highlights of the Duke game. Um, they kind of went four guards and Sims, and, and that was basically their entire attack. That yeah. leaves Hurt in an awkward position. I think in this game, I mean, Louisville's small, but they're not that small. And I think I think Hurt would have a decent matchup whether he's guarding, you know, Dwayne Sutton or or, or Jordan War or, or what's going to happen. I think he probably this game seems to fit him a lot better than that game did. Even though I think Louisville is a much better team than Clemson. Um, real quick, uh, Vernon Carey is a guy that you know we were, everybody at Duke was kind of gushing over at the start of this year, and he really does have some amazing offensive skills. But uh, against Georgia Tech with Banks and against Clemson with Sims, we the shine has come off him just a little bit because it seems like guys with length and athleticism can bother him. Um, and in the case of Sims, if there's a, a guy he has to guard on the perimeter who can shoot, uh, we're dead. Like he's he's just really not good at that. Um, does Louisville have guys like that? I mean, do they have guys who can stop him? Uh, athletic big guys that might give him trouble or is it going to be more that they have to double him because they don't quite have that one-on-one defender yeah I think they have that guy in Malik Williams who is in my opinion one of the best big man defenders in all of uh in all the ACC (laughs) yeah well the issue is you've got Stephen Enoch who the last two games notwithstanding is a really really good offensive big man who struggles a little bit, especially with, with defending the high ball screen defensively. He's gotten better this year. He's much better than he was a year ago, but he still is not nearly the defender that Malik Williams is. The issue is Malik Williams has been awful on offense this year. Uh, really, mm-hmm. really struggling. Mm-hmm. I know he's got a versatile game. He's maybe settling. He, he, he seems to be reverting to the guy who first got here who wants to play out on the perimeter a little bit, which is not great because I don't think he's hit the rim on his last like four jump shots, which uh, that's something that needs to be fixed. <laughs> But he's really struggled to finish this year. He started the season injured, missed the first three or four weeks of the season. But he's a fantastic defensive player who is exactly what you just described, uh, a long guy who's athletic, um, really good at blocking shots around the rim. I think he's a good matchup for Vernon Carey. I'll be curious to see because Enoch starts and typically gets a, a pretty significant amount of run before they bring Malik Williams in. I'll be curious to see if they keep with that uh, with that rotation or if they just go ahead and start Malik Williams in this game because I think he would have been a starter had he not gotten hurt. Um, but we'll see. I think he'll, if I had to guess, I think he plays more minutes in this game than Enoch does. They're, they're the perfect oh, two-end monster. Yeah, yeah they, they, you kind of wish that you could play, like when I was in Iowa covering sports way back when girls basketball was like eight-man, like you had three players that played offense and three players that played just defense and then two that played both ways. You kind of wish that you could play that way with this Louisville team so you could keep Ryan McMahon and Stephen Enoch on offense. And then maybe like David Johnson and Malik Williams on defense and just let them only play those two roles. But alas, you you cannot. (laughs) No, that's good. That's good. Um, And so we'll wrap up here in a second, Mike. And thanks again. Everybody, this is Mike Rutherford uh, joining us, founder of Card Chronicle, uh, basketball, college basketball editor at SB Nation. Um, Mike, when I uh, see two teams like Louisville and Kentucky in such close proximity, uh, it's always fascinating to me the dynamic between teams like that. I don't know a ton about it. I've been to Louisville once, and I know that if I were in the state, uh, I would be a Louisville fan, both because I love the city and because there's something about like the Kentucky juggernaut that just kind of makes me sick to my stomach. So I, I would be a Kentucky fan, but um, I want to ask you and hear it from you. What is sort of the uh, the psychological, philosophical uh, 
uh, state of things between Louisville and Kentucky? Is it like, you know, North Carolina, North Carolina State, where there's like a, a feeling of, of inferiority complex on one part? Or is it Duke, North Carolina, where it's kind of equal, but there's different demographics? Like, how does that work? I think it's it's a totally unique rivalry because the city of Louisville is so different than the rest of the state of Kentucky. Yeah, I mean, if you yeah. look at, I mean, basically look, look at any election. I mean, Kentucky is an overwhelmingly red state politically, and Jefferson County is an overwhelmingly blue county politically. And then, you know, the rest of the state, if you're looking at basketball, the rest of the state is overwhelmingly blue and supportive of Kentucky. And then Louisville, obviously, is a majority uh, Louisville city, regardless of what Kentucky fans will tell you. They'll try to say that it's 50-50. <laughs> it's not nearly 50-50. It's certainly more Louisville. But I think the, the most interesting part of the dynamic here is you've got kind of two factions of the rivalry. You've got Louisville fans versus Kentucky fans in the city of Louisville. Like, I grew up and, you know, some of my family are Kentucky fans. Like the, and my, are you are you from Louisville, Mike? I am. Yeah, yeah. born and raised. Um, yeah. So you kind of have that, and like you're used to it. And I think it's a little bit more like it's definitely fierce. But when you get Louisville fans against Kentucky fans out in the rest of the state, that's when it gets really nasty because you it, it's basically just a total culture clash, and mm -hmm. it's not just basketball. Like Kentucky fans, I think view the city of Louisville, the University of Louisville. And the Louisville basketball program as something that's totally different to like their core beliefs. It's, it's almost like an anti-religious thing. Like they view it as good <laughs> and evil and Louisville is hundred percent evil. And I, without getting too deep into it, um, there definitely are some racial components. I think a lot of those are deep seated. They're still there a little bit there today, sure, sure. but I, I think all of that kind of blends together to make it this big kind of culture clash every single year when the two teams play and it seeps into a lot of different elements of the rivalry. So it's a it's a unique rivalry. It's a nasty rivalry. There's no other way around it. And unfortunately, it's been a rivalry that for the last decade or so has been dominated by uh, Lexington Basketball Academy. So let me see if I can just put this in a really pithy way and tell me if I'm right. Uh, Kentucky is Mitch McConnell uh, and Louisville is Hunter S. Thompson. It is, except <laughs> Mitch McConnell is a Louisville fan. He's a he's a U of L fan. No way! Oh Jesus, that's a yeah. that's a black guy for you guys. <laughs> I it, it it really really is. He actually sent. Uh, uh, yeah, I, we have a uh, a daughter who's now a little bit over four months old who was born last September. Oh, congratulations! He, thank you, I, I appreciate it. But he sent a handwritten note, like with the Senate Majority Leader stamp and everything, to uh, to our house, congratulating us on our daughter and all this stuff. Oh, and I was goodness. like, well. If nothing else, it's something for the baby box. Yeah, you know, maybe the third most powerful man in the world is sending you a, a personal letter. There it is. Like, it's a story to tell at some point. That is really funny. And then, yeah, just a last thought on that. One of my favorite things in college basketball is uh, when they talk about Adolf Ruff, like on TV, on ESPN or anything, trying to pretend that he wasn't just the most violent racist <laughs> in the oh, history of oh. the sport. You know, like, it's one of those like little tap dancey things they do where they can't quite say like Adolf Ruff is maybe one of the worst people in American sports history but that the thing is me... though bring that up to any kentucky fan and you'll get like 25 pages of research of like uh, like <laughs> deeply researched evidence that they will have to refute any of these arguments and i'm like okay like I'll, I'll, I'll ignore all of the other stuff that's out there and just take you for your word like they will not back down on that stance like just re refuse even the most logical level-headed rational kentucky fan will come at you with like, uh-uh, this was this, and that was that, and this guy said that this lie happened, and that was a lie. Like, it's just, it's, it's a different world, man. That's funny, man. It's so funny to hear this. It, it really puts in perspective the, uh, the Duke-UNC rivalry, which is 
sometimes just absurdly polite <laughs> and respectful yeah uh compared to like yeah compared to what you guys have well this has been awesome mike uh, i assume you're probably not coming to to durham uh this weekend am i right on that you're correct. I'll be watching from the, uh, the the comfort of the Rutherford Manor. Awesome, awesome. Well, this is great. Uh, yeah, we look forward to the game, and thank you so much again for joining us. Uh, Mike Rutherford, founder of CardChronicle.com, editor of College Basketball at SB Nation. Mike, take care. Absolutely, Shane. Thanks so much for having me on. And there you have it, straight from the mouth of a Louisville expert. Matthew Hurt is going to score 50 points. Duke is going to win going away. And Mitch McConnell is going to cry so hard that he drowns in his own tears uh, and the country will be saved. So that should be a great result that we very much look forward to. Um, Ariana, Aaron and I, I believe, are going to record Saturday night late. Ariana will likely be at the game. Uh, but even if we can't do it by then, we're definitely going to record on Sunday. So stay tuned for that. Enjoy the weekend and go Duke. Bye bye.